Radio Days Africa podcast is brought to you by the Vids Radio Academy. Radio Days Africa 2020 is about to go live. Welcome, everybody. It's such a pleasure to be here. Today's installation of Radio Days Africa 2020 is happening. We're just starting live. And of course, that hashtag is the new normal. My name is Rafilo Mbakanyane, and uh, I'm your discussion moderator for today. And our discussion today is all about the art, of course, of interpreting listenership patterns, but specifically understanding what this time that we are living through has done to how we listen and consume audio uh, and radio specifically. Uh, Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone registered for today's discussion that uh, all your questions can be put on the Zoom chat right there. Uh, Click on that box and just pose whatever question you want to either to the panel in general or to specific members of the panel. Um, you can also send your voice notes to plus two seven seven nine five two eight double zero double zero. That number for the WhatsApp voice notes is plus two seven seven nine five two eight double zero double zero. And of course, a big shout out and a big thanks to CAS Media as well as the Vitz Radio Academy for making everything happen, to, for making all of this happen today. And of course, thank you to the rest of our sponsors as well. So. Here we go. Hello, is there anybody out there? That's our topic that we're tackling today. And with the help of three industry experts, we'll be looking at the impact that the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic has had a dramatic effect, I'm pretty sure, on media consumption in 2020. So what has happened to radio listenership in South Africa and globally, and how do audiences perceive their radio brands? I think that's a huge topic. Uh, We've got the perfect people on this panel to speak to all of that, but no doubt uh, we probably won't get through as much as we'd like. I'm pleased to welcome from Prime Media, uh, my colleague, um, Melissa McNally. Thank you so much for your time today. It really is an absolute pleasure. Melissa is a research consulting specialist at Prime Media with 15 years of research experience, and she's worked at a number of big research agencies, uh, as well as um, assisting with the rollout of the Infinite Dial in South Africa, which also looked at audio consumption behavior of South Africans across major metros. Afternoon, Melissa. Thank you so much for your time. Good afternoon, everybody. It's wonderful to be here today. And thank you for the lovely intro. It's an absolute pleasure. I know we've got a real boss <laughs> on the panel, so looking forward to your insights. And then I'd like to say hi to Nick Grubb. Nick is a former journalist and now business leader with a passion. I grabbed this off his LinkedIn, by the way, with a passion for media um, that connects people through authentic leaderships, uh, relationships, rather. Uh, Nick's career has spanned leadership roles at big radio broadcasting companies and an entrepreneurial phase, uh, specializing in communication as well as digital media. Currently, the leading, uh, currently uh, leading the radio business at Dakiso Media, one of South Africa's premier audio and broadcasting businesses. And it is with that that I'd like to say welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Looking forward to the discussion. Yes, more, uh, absolutely, as am I. And uh, last but not least is, um, last but not least is Larry Rosen, who is the president of Edison Research, which he co-founded in 1994. Since then, he's been a primary force in building the company uh, into one of the world's most respected survey research companies uh, with a particular specialization in media and election polling. Uh, Larry, you know, it is an absolute honor and a pleasure to welcome you to Radio Days Africa 2020. So glad to be speaking to you. And um, I'm sure uh, our our, um, all the viewers online can concur in saying that they're really, really looking forward to the insights you can provide for us today. Thank you for your time. So greetings from summertime in North America. I'm in New Jersey Mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, a beautiful morning here, but uh, I wish I've been down to Radio Days Africa a couple of times and uh, I wish I were down there with all of you guys, but uh, let's hope for next year. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Let's hope for next year indeed. And of course, that very, very important vaccine. So thank you for your time today, guys, and and, and for the work that 
you put into preparing for this panel? Because as, as our audience will see, you've also spent time putting together some slides and uh, putting some slides and some graphics as well for our discussion. So that's very much appreciated. But I guess in many ways, uh, first of all, before we kick off, I want to start with you, Nick, and ask you if you imagined that when the state of disaster was announced by President Cyril Ramaphosa, we knew that um, there was a pandemic somewhere out there in the world, but I guess it never really hits home until it hits home. Did you imagine or did you sort of put into, into place contingency plans um, for what your business would do, what Gakhiso Media would do with regards to listeners and listenership during this very uneasy time? Because we didn't know what would happen going into um, a lockdown. Yeah, I, look, I, I think it, uh, it, it took every, the, the magnitude of this took everybody by surprise. Um, you know, even watching the news reports about this, this distant pan, you know, um, epidemic and even the classification as a pandemic. And it just seemed to, to take a long time to reach South Africa's uh, shores. And I think we were all lulled into a sense of complacency. Um, and the impact was seismic. But at the same time, I, I think that there was a, a very quick response from most of the broadcast industry um, that we can see in terms of um, putting in contingency plans around not just business continuity, but actually seizing the opportunity um, that exists uh, in terms of developing and cementing relationships with audiences. And, and, and that seemed, you know, if there was a theme of the pandemic, it was really how quickly broadcasters, particularly in radio, responded and, uh, and how innovative they, they responded in terms of developing new ways to, to build uh, a rapport with their audiences. Mm, absolutely. I'm going to move on to you, Larry, and ask you the question of what made it um, a, a worthwhile endeavor or a sensible uh, move for you guys at Edison Research to turn to South Africa and to put out the first Infinite Dow report in 2019. What are the ties that pull us together, South Africa and the U.S. specifically? Uh, great question. The um the leadership of the two other people on the panel with me and, and others um, to really is what brought it to South Africa. Um, we've been doing this study, Infinite Dial, in the United States annually since 1998, so forever, basically. Mm. And we uh, it built a name, it built a, a, a story behind it. And then people in other countries started to say, we should see, we should do it in our country and see how those numbers might compare. Uh, to the numbers that we see uh, it coming from the United States. So it went to Australia and then Canada and, and then simultaneously last year, Germany and you all in South Africa uh, jumped on board as well. Um, the, uh, we're hoping to do it uh, in an ongoing basis. That's the plan. And, and we expect uh, when life turns completely back to normal next year, perhaps, um, we can, uh, we can think about doing a, a follow-up infinite dial down there in South Africa. But what, what we're seeing is as more countries do it, there's more value created for everybody because you're able to compare your statistics to other countries and see where are you uh, ahead, behind, how many years behind other countries, et cetera, and just get a sense for where you, sort of your audio space is, not just radio, but all of audio mm -hmm. um, as compared to what other countries are seeing. Sure. Now, Melissa, following on to uh, Larry's answer there, you were part of that team um, that yes. uh, helped put together the Infinite Dial report for 2019. Uh, and it was one, first of all, everyone was so excited and grateful because finally, right, um, being, I guess, recognized, but also in many ways, getting these insights that uh, so many people had wanted with regards to uh, digital audio and, and how we're faring on that side. I'd like to find out from you that going into the same phase, kind of a bit of uh, what I've asked, Nick, your sense, was it immediate and apparent to you that you needed to start tracking and counting ASAP? Uh, because I know that as part of within Prime Media, you had very, very quickly gotten onto listeners to um, be part of a survey as well as to contribute their thoughts as well and answer some questions. And then having said that as well, um, I've sat in on, a, on a, a focus group that you conducted at Prime yes. Media. And I've, I'm, always, I'm always amazed, first of all, at your patience in doing any of this, but <laughs> also um, the craft and the art of matching the right demographic and um, a, a, photo, a focus group um, participants with the right question, right? So much hinges yes. on how you ask and what you ask. I've asked you a very late question. A lot of stuff. <laughs> 
So I think really with Infinite Dial, there was immediacy in terms of looking at audio and looking at the audio landscape and trying to understand it in its full complexity within South Africa. Because traditionally, when we look at currency, we are primarily looking at terrestrial listenership. So for us, it was more complex and we needed to get a broader understanding of what was actually happening out there. So that was the reason for really looking at audio consumption, because we wanted to have a holistic understanding, at least have some building blocks from a metro kind of perspective in terms of understanding it from that point of view. Then mm -hmm. further to that, when we kicked off within Prime Media specifically, we had an immediacy to understand what was happening in the lives of our listeners in order to, one, create content that spoke to them and engaged them effectively during lockdown without wearing them out with heavy stories consistently all the time around COVID, for instance, but also to get into their headspace. For me, it's really important to engage them emotionally. So trying to understand them and unpack all of that information. And yes, it was really important to get get the matching going correctly in terms of the content versus the people that were listening, people dipping in and out. We saw listening patterns changing significantly. So it allowed us that understanding just to understand where are people? Because at that point in time, obviously with currency, we had to cut off in field and we weren't able to have currency. So many of our investors, say our clients, for example, were saying to us, um, Mal, what can we do here? What What's actually happening with the patterns? And that's where we utilize streaming data, for instance. And we had those kinds of insights and we had a, a kind of like a different look at the data for, for the first time. And we were able to understand listening pattern holistically from our panel versus also what Nick had and, and like streaming data, for example. All right. So let me not, not monopolize this uh, platform. And the, what we're talking about is how the COVID-19, worldwide COVID-19 pandemic has affected media consumption in 2020. We're going to kick off with Larry Rosen as he gives us a global perspective and a global look at the times that we're living in, in effect. So just a reminder to um, the people that have registered and are tuning in, please guys send those, um, put, send those questions through on the chat. And to uh, our fellow panelists, Nick and Larry and Melissa, we're also having this conversation together. So feel free to ask those questions of each other should you have any as well and uh, maybe push back if you want to push back I don't know but Larry the floor's yours great so uh, can you just confirm that you're seeing my screen we can see it and hear you loud and clear excellent so um, I uh, with regard to this question of is anyone out there listening I'm going to show some data from a study uh, that we do here in the United States called share of ear uh, where we're attempting to measure sort of the entire world of audio. So that not radio ratings like you're used to saying and, and here people are used to saying in this, in our case from Nielsen, uh, but a measurement of everything that someone might listen to in the world of audio. And with particular uh, attention to this question of what happened during these COVID uh, disruptions. And I'll start by, you know, um, emphasizing, if I forward my screen here, that I'm we're looking at American data. We're looking at U.S. data, and the, the challenge will be to translate this to uh, whatever your country is, South Africa or any other country uh, in Africa that's interested in, in what's going on. Um, and so what this study is, is people uh, keep a very detailed 24-hour, one-day diary of all their audio consumption. Uh, and it's done uh, to very high research standards, but people are assigned a specific day and asked to keep this diary. And so uh, if you look at our data historically, um, it's really not changed a lot. And people on average told us through Q1, through the beginning of this year, before the pandemic uh, period, uh, that they listened to an average of three hours and 50 minutes of audio. Um, and when we measured, we, we did our quarter two measurement in early May when the U.S. was pretty darn locked down. I mean, it wasn't the deepest level, which happened in April, but it was still quite, um, quite a lockdown situation. And the total average amount of audio consumption was still very, very large. It was the lowest we've ever recorded. It went down to three hours and 39 minutes. But people were still telling us that they listened to a ton of audio. Um, so, and that actually surprised me. I thought the number would go down a little bit more. But what we really saw in terms of difference was where people said they were when they listened to audio. 
and bear in mind with the, the data on the screen here, we ask not uh, what were you doing, but where were you? So if, for instance, if you moved your work from a workplace to your home, that would have flipped the location from at work to at home. So what you see here is that while the total amount of listening didn't change that much, the, the location of listening changed a lot. So listening at home skyrocketed, went up by over 40 minutes per average, on average per, um, per person, whereas the other three locations of listening uh, dropped uh, pretty dramatically. So at work fell in half, uh, in the car um, fell uh, by over a half an hour per person, other which would be public transport, at a gym, walking around, where anywhere else someone might be listening to audio, that also fell in half. And uh, I want to emphasize, this is the average for everyone. So if that at work number surprises you to the low side, uh, this includes anyone who said, I didn't do any listening at work because I don't work. Um, uh, so, you know, the 34 might have struck you as low and the 17 equally low. But again, that includes uh, the overwhelming majority of people, or the majority anyway, who uh, at any given time who, who don't work. But the major story here is that listening by location shifted dramatically. And in fact, here's a graphical representation of the same thing. So before COVID-19, about half of all audio consumption, not radio again, but audio consumption was at home, a third in the car here in the US, 15% at work and 4% in other places. And then during the disruptions, you see that dramatic change uh, at home skyrocketing up to 70% of all listening, the car going from a third to a fifth. And like I said, work and other dropping by half. So translating this data to your uh, country and your situation, uh, it really comes down to what your baseline might have been. Uh, the U.S. is a very automobile, car-centric culture. Uh, a huge percentage of people who work, uh, out, who work outside their home uh, commute alone in a car and are, are almost all consuming audio while they're doing that. And so uh, things could be quite different in, in your country, but this is what we see in the United States. And you see that these disruptions indeed were very large. But what was really interesting was when we looked at the data by location and to see what happened within each location. And so there's a lot going on here, but just, just to look at the sweep of the graph. And so, you know, the dark blue is what we saw historically. The green is what we saw uniquely in the, um, in the second quarter during the COVID disruptions. And while there's some little differences here, um, basically things didn't change very much. If you were at home, you listened pretty much to the same kinds of things that you were listening to before. Um, radio was a little bit lower, streaming was a little bit higher, but we always see quarter to quarter certain uh, little differences. Um, and bear in mind, uh, because there was so much more at-home listening, that 32% from radio, still the biggest chunk of at-home listening in the United States, that's actually more minutes of radio listened to. Um, it's just a slightly lower percentage of at-home. But basically the story is, if you were at home, you listened to pretty much the same stuff. You just were spending more time at home. Similarly, with at work, the numbers are basically identical. Um, the, uh, again, so the difference wasn't what people listened to while they were working. The difference was how much time they spent at a workplace. And then crucially for the radio industry, uh, the, car, uh, the car location in car and the numbers, again, exactly the same as we typically see radio actually ticking up by a percentage point. Uh, so the story wasn't that people were changing their behavior within locations. They were uh, just spending differential amounts of times, time in each location. And then finally, the uh, other locations, which tends to be the domain of streaming, and uh, that went up even higher. But radio's number the same in both in both uh, before and during uh, the the disruptive era. Uh, so this this is a graph that shows our estimate of all audio consumption in the United States. It'd be a very interesting thing to look at uh, in any of your countries. Um, but here in the United States, people have a lot of options. Um, and uh, despite having a lot of options, uh, radio is by far the biggest chunk of audio consumption. Um, it's 42% uh, of all audio consumption. Uh, and that's in a world where streaming, uh, which is Sp Spotify, we have Pandora uh, and other major players, um, is their major factors, but far smaller 
YouTube, we asked for, about YouTube. YouTube only for music and music videos is a major factor. Sirius XM, which many of you may never even heard of, is a satellite radio. It's radio, but comes from a satellite. And it's a factor here, uh, a factor you're unlikely to ever have uh, there. And then podcasting, very hot topic, is 5% now of all listening here in the United States. Uh, and I just thought I would show that to contextualize just how big radio is here in the States. And it's, I believe it is uh, far bigger and, and larger in South Africa and probably in every other African country as well. And if you look individually, Spotify is the biggest brand in terms of listening, uh, but uh, a small, small percentage by comparison to uh, all listening to the radio here in the United States. Certainly growing, uh, but still has a long way to go to uh, topple radio is the main thing people listen to. And then finally, I thought I would mention Reach, uh, which is radio's biggest story. And um, we ask this, and bear in mind, this is a daily Reach estimate. And so two out of every three Americans told us on the day we contacted them that they had listened to the radio, a number far higher than anything else for streaming. Uh, and uh, we saw that radio's reach remained very, very high, uh, even during the disruptions, uh, down a little bit because some people only listen in their car, but still by far and away the highest, uh, the most listened to uh, kind of audio. Um, and um, Again, the change was just in time spent, really, not so much in reach. And then I thought I would finish with this graph, which is just um, the same data you were just looking at, but looking by age groups. Um, here in the States, and you may hear this in your countries, um, there's this feeling, well, young people don't listen to the radio anymore. So the, the blue bars on top are among 13 to 34-year-olds, the orange is 35, 54-year-olds, and the purple is 55 plus. And you see even among... The youngest people in our survey, those 13 to 34 year old, more than half of them say they listen to radio every day. And that number is higher than the combined total for uh, the combined and deduplicated total for Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music and Pandora and all the other brands uh, here. So um, that is a quick spin through what we're seeing here in uh, the United States. Uh, and I'm happy to answer uh any questions about that when we get to the Q&A uh, later. But if the question is, is anybody out there, um, the, our data shows that the answer is very much yes, um, especially in terms of reach. It's just people's lives were disrupted and changed, and that seemed to affect uh, time spent listening. But we expect that if and when life returns to some uh, version of normal, uh, that a lot of these numbers will revert to what they were before. Um, especially if people, and as they're already doing, according to other data sets, spend more time in their cars uh, because that's such a key location for, uh, for audio consumption, especially radio consumption here in the United States and really everywhere. Mm. All right, fantastic. Thanks so much, Larry, for those insights. And perhaps uh, further on down, we can start interrogating uh, devices and platforms that people use and uh, the future thereof. But Melissa's got her, is up next with her presentation. Uh, and you can take it away, Melissa. All right, great. Thank you so much, everybody. So really in South Africa, we've got a little bit of a backdrop to go through. I think essentially we should go through this first to understand why we're seeing certain behavioral shifts as well as psychological shifts within our space. But really, when we went into lockdown, we all started functioning from a fear kind of response. And if we look at our data that we have from our own internal panel, we've seen that many listeners have been concerned about job loss, the actual economy, contracting economies right now. Also, when the alcohol ban was lifted, alcohol abuse, many parents being concerned about their children going back to school. Now many parents being concerned about their parents, uh, their children not being in school as well. So what this really has resulted in is a huge emphasis around health alongside this huge emphasis on financial well-being and mental well-being. But what's really interesting for us when we start unpacking our data is really to look at that seven out of 10 households at the beginning of lockdown, <clears throat> excuse me, were actually impacted financially. What this means is for the data that we've seen across multiple sources is that people are more concerned about their financial well-being right now as opposed to actually contracting COVID. So this has actually impacted 
um, our, our Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if we look at it, our physiological needs are not being met at the moment. And this has impacted us also on a safety kind of level. So it's given us this renewed need to protect our basic needs now and into the future. But what we've also noticed is our loneliness levels are increasing as we go along in terms of this lockdown. Further to this, this is a prolonged trauma response. Usually trauma is quite quick and swift, but this is a prolonged response. So anxiety is also up. And alongside that, depression is also up. So what does this really mean for us from a psychological perspective? We're actually looking at content as one. There's been significant shifts in this space with many people indicating that they would like some content that focuses around the economy and business survival techniques. But interestingly, the mental health and wellness aspect has become more and more important for us. Over and above that, if we start looking at this, we've had many and different trauma responses to COVID. And what this really means for us is that many people are baking. I'm sure some of you are baking more readily and cooking more frequently. Lots of people are snacking as well more frequently. But we've also seen lots of people exercising. So this renewed interest in mental health, wellness, and our physical well-being as well. <clears throat> but what we're also starting to see is a shift from individualism to collectivism. And what this really means for us is that there's a pro-social movement. And this is where radio really forms a link for us and creates this connector kind of response. And globally, we're seeing this response as well, with 70% of respondents agreeing that radio makes them feel more in touch and connected to the world. And it also makes them feel like they're part of a greater community. And we imagine this is one of the responses that's going to be retained after this. Because if we look at data, many younger people are actually earning less than about 30 years ago to their counterparts as well, significantly less. So there's going to be a massive shift away from materialism as well, and more towards pro-social brands. And this is where radio really interacts well and engages consumers significantly. But what does this also mean for us? Consumers are expecting more from brands as well as from radio than ever before. And according to Kantar, 88% of South Africans state that they feel that brands should talk about how they can be helpful in the new everyday life. I'm sure everybody's tired about hearing about the new normal, though, and we're going to call it the new abnormal. I'm not sure what we're going to call it, really. We've had a lot of people tell us they hate the phrase. But this means that our audio consumption is actually shifting as well. And it means that our media consumption patterns are shifting as we start to shift our behavior. And you'll note that a lot of the behaviors have actually affected broader kind of behavior. So looking at how we're shopping, stockpiling initially, where we saw people stockpiling toilet paper. This is where we have this renewed interest in terms of our own needs and also around essential needs. And this is also starting to impact everything else within our spectrum. So what we see here is an increase internet surfing pattern, and this is data from Cantar at the beginning of May, alongside social networks and instant messaging and websites. But what was really interesting for us was how audio started to increase during this time, with streaming music and podcasting up by 40%, over and above that radio up by 28%, and then we also have our online um, streaming radio at uh, an increase of 24%. And we decided we'd triangulate this data with various sources. So we've also stated that Kakiso Media saw increases as the prime media in terms of their streaming platforms as well. And if we have a look at our own internal data alongside with our behavioral shifts that we're starting to see, I've been fortunate enough to be tracking behavior from level five right down to level three right now. And what we've seen is shifts from initially in-car radio decreasing significantly, which makes complete sense because people weren't commuting as frequently or at, or at all. And then what we started to see is people actually now listen to the radio in their vehicles once again. Interestingly, we also saw a, a shift towards mobile device usage. So to Larry's point, we started to see the data normalize slightly as well. And when we initially conducted the research in 2019 for Infinite Dial, what we noticed there was that there was quite heavy smartphone penetration amongst the three major metros in South Africa, which was quite surprising for us, but it was quite on par with what we saw from a global level. Interestingly, what we have seen with our listeners, at least 39% of them 
has stated that they actually increased their radio usage and it's still at that level, at level three. So it hasn't declined. What we are starting to see is streaming figures starting to normalize as we progress along this journey. Over and above that, podcasting is up about 19% with our audience. Within the Infinite Dial study, podcasting holistically in terms of awareness only had an awareness level of 22 to 23%, depending on which sample we utilized across the country, which is quite interesting for us. Obviously, we see with upper ACM groups, the skew for podcasting as well. But I'm sure you've heard quite a bit about podcasting. And this really is about how we're shifting our behavior into other means. And in a nutshell, what we really can say from all of this is that we see many of our listeners coming into radio as a source of information, as a companion right now, looking to alleviate those feelings around anxiety and loneliness. And really, radio is here to assist listeners and consumers with navigating their new, I'm going to call it the abnormal, during lockdown and into the future, because that's really what it's about. And it's about being that connector right now. So if you have any questions, more than welcome to ask them at the end of this presentation, and I'll be here to assist you. But we have a lot of data about the various levels, about, around the psychology that's occurring, and around the various changing needs that we're seeing. But mental health and wellness most certainly been one of the biggest themes that we're seeing throughout all of this. And I think there's really a, a time and place for radio to assist in, in actually alleviating that burden for, for the listener as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Melissa, for those behavioral and uh, listening insights that you've given us. I'm going to move on to Nick Grubb now. And I guess, Nick, uh, in many ways, your presentation will be carrying on or speaking to um, a, a key point that Melissa made in her presentation, which is that uh, consumers and listeners have adjusted and shifted their expectations of what brands should be giving them. So it's over to you. Well, thanks very much. Um... I, I'm not the empirical data guy on the panel. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a content guy. Um, I, I have some respond in terms of content. I have some facts. I'm luckily armed with some facts, but um, but but really, just wanted to kind of give a top line perspective of 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 where how I think radio has fared and 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 what the prospects are uh, from a medium point of view, and obviously how COVID has has influenced that. I think in general, you know, when, when people have asked me how our business is doing, uh, it's it's been a it's it's been a difficult story because, actually, on the one hand, I don't think we've ever been uh, better in terms of our content and our and our relationship with our audiences. I, I don't think that uh, the team. I'm just from a culture and innovation perspective internally, the teams have been uh, energized, motivated, coming up with with ideas and deploying. Um, things are on air at a rate that we we've never seen before. So so it's 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 actually been a, a really stimulating and incredibly um, encouraging um, and fulfilling time to be in radio, um, and and it's and it's borne out by some of the stats that you have seen that Larry's shared and that uh, and that Melissa's also shared around around the fact that engagement really is up. Um, and I think that part of what's what's brought that fulfillment has been the fact that that there has uh, because of of what's going on around us that we haven't really had much choice but to focus uh, and double down on our purpose driven mandate rather than the the the, the profits and revenues that that commercial radios uh, radio stations uh, so actively pursue and uh, and and I think that that's had again I think sustainable long term meaningful benefit for the in, for the industry. Um, given that radio stations have done so much good, and I'll, I'll talk through a couple of the, the highlights of that um, that I've seen, um, but you know we can't escape the reality that that revenue that revenue drop has been profound, and and it's been it's been very very difficult for the industry because of the the scale of the deceleration of revenues, um, and, and and I guess the key question, which I'll pick up on uh, again towards the end of what I have to say is whether this is an acute situation or whether this will translate into a, a, a chronic challenge for radio um, in, the, in the longer term. So I, I'm going to speak from two perspectives today. Um, the one is that I, I am uh, privileged to chair the Commercial Radio Committee at the National Association of Broadcasters. Um, and the NAB has done some, uh, some surveys of its members and gotten some data, which was actually collated so that uh, it could report uh, to the regulator and, and to government around commercial radio's response. I've got a couple of sneak peek slides from a, 
from this report that is actually only going to be released by the NAB next week. Um, but with their permission, I've, I've taken a couple of slides out of that presentation. And, and uh, I guess to reiterate the point that Melissa has said, that this is drawn from, from uh, a survey of 30 commercial radio stations. And, uh, and, and, and so it, it represents an, an, an enormous cross-section of the, of the radio market uh, and, and about 35% of the total available listenership um, to radio in South Africa. And it just you know, shows that, and there's a number of data sets here, and I, I'm not gonna go into too much of the detail. I'm very happy to share the presentation afterwards and, and you can kind of read the footnotes in terms of where this comes from. But I guess the key points is that listeners told us in surveys to individual media owners um, uh, in, in different media groups and different radio brands that they are listening to radio more. So they, they, they stated that they're intending to listen. But we've also seen empirical evidence of increased levels of listening through streaming, which is obviously in the absence of the, of the uh, uh, audience surveys that, we, that we've been able to put out in the market. It's, it's really the, the only empirical data we have on, on, on the difference between their stated intention and what they actually did. Um, but importantly, as uh, again, as Melissa's touched on, that was specific uh, maybe to prime media audiences, you see that those truths are fairly universal too, um, to listeners uh, across all media groups, which is that connectivity um, to radio and the trust of radio has really come to the fore. Um, and, I, and I think that, that's, uh, that that theme of trust, I think will also be quite key in how we make sure we maintain and, and build radio's relevance uh, in the market going forward. Um, and, and, and to, the, to the point of purpose, I think, uh, again, you know, we know internally that, that in, in, in Kahisa Media, it's been a big thing for us. But, but again, this, uh, this uh, looks at a cross-section of, of uh, activities from all commercial radio players. And there were some incredible examples of how collaboration and, uh, and a sense of, of uh, participation and, and community engagement uh, from the commercial radio sector makes a meaningful difference. Um, you know, there were over 72,000 public service announcements were broadcast by the surveyed stations. And now this is, this is in the period from March until May. So, you know, a really short amount of time. And, and I mean, if you were to translate, to calculate the RAND value of that is, is, a, is a mammoth task because every station has different rate cards and so on. But, but uh, it, it, would be a, it would be a considerable number. Um, and... And I think just to pick, cherry pick two, uh, two particular um, uh, initiatives. One was uh, national unity. So there was the national anthem uh, broadcast. And that was really the first time where all the commercial radio station program managers got together and said, let's do something across every single frequency at the same time to South Africa's audiences, uh, including SABC as so our, our national broadcaster and the commercial stations. Um, and, uh, and, and whilst... The, the, the playing of the national anthem at a particular time might not sound like a particularly difficult thing to do. I think that it's important to recognize the collaboration that happened across the industry to do something. And, and that is the first step and what hopefully will be a, a collaboration by the industry to do more meaningful and constructive things going forward. And, and then the step two of that was that the, the member stations ran a, a campaign um, uh, at, at, at their own cost for uh, uh, promotion of information to people who might be affected by uh, gender-based violence um, and promoting uh, access to the, the, the government helplines and various materials to, to make sure that we could try and uh, arrest the, the, the spike in, in uh, GBV that happened over this period. So, you know, I think, I think history will show that COVID has been a time of, of, of uh, tremendous giving, not just by the radio sector. Of course, there's been a lot of, lot of incredible um, industry collaborations and, and, and uh, uh, engagements, but, but certainly there's been uh, a, a huge amount and it's demonstrated radio's uh, enduring relevance to its audiences. Um, just, to, just to look internally from a Kakisa Media point of view, I guess there were two, two things that, that, that also stood out from our point of view. Um, I, I mean, apart from the, the, the social giving, and it, it, you consider, obviously, the money that's dispersed by radio stations is not a reflection of the generosity of us as media owners. It's a reflection of the generosity of the listeners. And, uh, and between just East Coast Radio and Jacaranda, we were able to distribute 4 million rand in cash. 
um, to to communities or individuals um, just over the, the lockdown period, which is a considerable amount of money. Um, and then over 10 million rand in inventory. And that inventory was used to, and there's two examples on the screen. The, the one was that you know, both of our brands ran uh, free advertising for local businesses to try and sustain their, their um, presence in the market, even though um, some of them had to uh, partially close or completely close over that period um, in order to, you know, to, to try and help to stimulate that business as it, as it took off. And again, our examples are not the only ones. There are, there are many, many of the media groups uh, did similar things. But, but I, I think that, again, it demonstrated that, that this was a time, uh, if we can't chase revenues, it was a time for commercial radio to chase relationships, um, both with its clients, but also with its advertisers. And then, and then pivoting uh, the ways that radio stations engage. So, you know, a, a story at Jacaranda was that we were due to do the Off the Beaten Track, which is a, a mountain bike event, which is sponsored by Tracker. And it's a mountain bike and concert event. And for obvious reasons, that, that had, to, had, to, um, uh, had to be canceled. So actually, with the participation and, and, and generosity of the, of the uh, sponsor, we are actually able to pivot that into a live online multi-artist concert to raise funds for Good Morning Angels, which is the Jacaranda charity, again, to, to find ways to get people rallied around a community cause and give back to the community. So, so what started out as a kind of complete entertainment and commercial relationship pivoted into a closer relationship with the client, but also um, through that relationship, uh, an opportunity to, to build uh, more and more uh, community outreach um, as, as a result. And then the last point really, and I, you know, I don't want to end on a downer. I have one more slide, which hopefully might, might pick us up a bit, but you know, we can't escape the, the seismic revenue impact. And, and uh, this is a slide that is uh, compiled from data that's drawn from a, a think tank in Brussels called EGTA. Um, I think we as South African members are perhaps uh, the reason why we've been remiss in not giving April and May numbers yet, uh, as opposed to the rest of their membership. But what you'll see here is the, is the South African downturn in radio ad spend in comparison to the other markets uh, represented by ECTA's membership. Um, and I use the slide with their permission, but you'll see that, that the blue, the blue um, slide here, show, the blue bar demonstrates the amount of, of drop in radio ad spend in the month of March, which was just as lockdown started to, to, uh, to be imposed. And, and you'll see the South African downturn is, is in line, but actually arguably slightly ahead of the, of the downturn that happened um, on a global basis. I can tell you anecdotally that, that you know, without seeing the numbers, that the downturn in April and May was even more pronounced. Um, and so... You know, we, we are certainly um, amongst, we have some of the most robust radio revenues in the world by comparison to other media types. Um, you know, radio commands a fairly uh, healthy share of media ad spend in the South African context. But, uh, you know, the, the, when the tap turned off, it turned off particularly um, drastically for South African uh, media owners. And so, you know, the challenge will be how do we, how do we recover from this in the long term? And I guess... Uh, that's where we need to focus our attentions. This seminar, this particular panel is not about uh, uh, revenue performance. It's about where the audiences were, and I'm cognizant of that. But I think that it's, again, it's, it, it, would be, um, it, it wouldn't be holistic to, to talk just about audiences without uh, re referencing the revenue impact. And the fact that that will have an impact long term on the way that the, me the medium responds. How do we respond? Well, I, I think that, that we need to we need to spend a lot of time as, as a collaborative effort um, through organs like the National Association of Broadcasters, um, doing as much as we can to, to educate advertisers on the imperative of, of maintaining radio ad spend. And obviously I'm subjective, but I wouldn't be in the business if I didn't believe that it was uh, a, a long-term sustainable. And in fact, you know, the evidence for me, because we're always asked is radio, is, will radio continue to be a, a, an effective medium and you know, radio has got a challenge to prove ROI. You know, my answer to that is that the, the, the sectors of the radio industry in South Africa that show the highest growth from one year to the next are, are the direct sales departments of the radio stations, certainly that we run and the radio stations that, that we're aware of um, outside of our group. 
And now if that doesn't tell you the story of radio's enduring um, efficacy, then nothing else will. Because, you know, apart from relying on, on complicated attribution models or, you know, um, some sort of um, study, econometric study to demonstrate ROI in the case of big clients, a direct advertiser is often a, a store owner, you know, a, a mom and pop store owner. They know that if they spend X and they get Y, and it, and it means that it was, uh, you know, they got, they got a, a substantial return in terms of custom as a result of that ad campaign. They are the ones that are going to then make the decision um, to advertise again. And so if you've got return customers and growth from your direct market, it shows that the radio station, uh, the radio industry as a sector is entirely healthy. And then I, I just, I'd, I'm kind of out of time, so I'd, I'm not going to dwell on it, but just to pick up a couple of points that I think we as an industry really need to emphasize over this time. The one is that, as we've said today, radio uh, audiences are engaged like they've never been actually um, over this COVID time. Yes, there's been some shifts in the way they engage, but, uh, but they are very attentive and very responsive to, to calls to action by radio stations, as long as they're authentic and, and relevant. Um, but also that radio stations these days are not just FM transmitters. We have uh, you know, strong digital presence uh, and all sorts of other ways that we can engage through apps and, and uh, plat so our platform and our content opportunities to engage with audiences are myriad. And that creates a, a, a kind of ecosystem in which advertisers can, can be present and benefit from those relationships. Um, in an age where you know, a lot of this ad spend is shifting to digital, what is it about radio that, that apart from being complementary to digital, what is it that we have that digital doesn't? And, and in many cases, trustworthiness is, is, a, is a critical factor. Um, and, uh, you know, listeners engage with us because they trust us. They may hear something for the first time on Twitter, but they come to verify it with radio. Um, and likewise, from an advertising message, the same, uh, the same relationship exists. Um, and, and I think that because radio has, been done, has done so much purpose activity over this time, I think that, again, it's something that, that advertisers need to be aware of is that the disposition of audiences, the, the intangibles um, around the, the relationship that people have with their radio make it a, a fertile opportunity for advertisers to be present. Mm -hmm. um, there is great evidence from, from the 1920s that advertising during the Depression um, you know, uh, enabled some firms to, to grow their market share relative to other players um, uh, because they continue to advertise. And I think that's a message we need to reinforce. Um, Radio, as I said, is complementary and multiplies the impact of other media. And then lastly, you know, radio is responsive. And in a pandemic that has shifted and, you know, we don't know from one day to the next what the, what the pandemic will do. And then let alone a government, government announcement that creates another curveball in terms of, uh, of either aiding or abetting the, the um, uh, economic fortunes of the country. So in those situations, brands need to have a medium that's responsive to, to quick turnaround. So you know, these are perhaps some thought start starters that might uh, lead us to become more collaborative as an industry in order to build radio's reputation for effectiveness going forward. Sure. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, I guess I'll start, uh, I'll start off the Q&A segment of this panel uh, with my own question to you, Nick, which is exactly that um, after, you know, after purpose and after reliability and trustworthiness and um, radio stations uh, um, prioritizing relationships as opposed to profits, because, you know, it's pretty much out of their hands. What comes next? Are you programming with a view to the fact that uh, in terms of the economic situation that you're operating and working within, things might not look great for a very, very long time. How are you in some ways looking to inoculate or inure yourself against this, if at all possible? It's, uh, I, honestly, if I say that I'm, that I'm up awake at night thinking about that, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I literally uh, kind of spend hours thinking about what, it, what is it that we need to be doing now to, to make sure that, that, that we grow our relevance with audiences. It's not just about maintaining. Obviously, we are in the business of growing, growing our, our audiences and returns. Um, I, I think certainly, you know, if radio stations that, that have been uh, slow in uptake on digital and digital um, audio formats, you know, should should by now the writing should be quite clearly on the wall that that uh, that they need to get uh, they need to catch up in that aspect. So so certainly digital digital engagement is paramount, um, and and then also you know for us it's it's around research. I, I'm a great believer in in radio. You know, kind of the simplicity of radio is find out what audiences want and give it 
to them. And so, you know, making sure that that we are that we are not uh, cutting, as is tempting to do in a in a in a in a bit of a recession, not cutting our research budgets, but actually potentially looking to to maximize our our uh, uh, understanding from our audiences in various ways and cost effective ways too, in order to 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 develop an understanding of the audiences that we can then serve them both from a content and a platform point of view. Um, you know, there's there, there's lots that we need to do. It's not one single thing, I don't think. I think it's going to be about making sure that we that we are um, exploring new new routes to consumers through platforms, um, mm-hmm. making sure that the content serves the new the changing in the changing needs that that consumers have, as as Melissa's has so ably shown uh, in terms of the fact that they want different types of things from their content. And make sure that we service them with that. So Larry, you haven't spoken in a while <laughs> uh, since you kicked us off on the panel. But you know, I'm guessing uh, you you had um, Sirius uh, XM, the satellite radio station, in your slides, and it's a very it's a different environment in the United States. What I want to know is, and perhaps Melissa and Nick, you can also jump on this: is are the days of drive time and or prime time radio? Uh, seeing a decline, uh, you, I'm sure, Larry, you've got specific insights about what's happened with the advent of uh, Sirius as, and, and on demand in general. And uh, then I'll come to you, Melissa and Nick. Yeah, yeah so uh, we, actually we actually put out, out another, another piece, piece of uh, information from that study, study that I showed. showed. Uh, we, we looked at when, when people recorded, recorded their first, first audio, audio consumption on their, on their diary. diary. And, and it was, it was kind, kind of amazing because we looked through the entire Sorry, I'm going to ask you to stop right there. Nick, are you also having issues? Nick and Melissa, are you also having issues with uh, Larry's audio? Yeah, yeah uh, it's a bit dodgy. Okay, maybe our tech guys can help him out really quickly. I do want to hear from Larry. Uh, Melissa, is, is prime time or drive time, drive shows, um, something that might wane as a natural, um, uh, as a natural response to people waking up much later because to COVID. Of, yeah so interestingly um we've actually we come out of it if we come out of it when yeah sure yeah so we've looked at the data right so um i'm able to look at this and understand it and what we do see is from a streaming perspective the data doesn't always follow the natural trend that we'd see in terrestrial listening however what we have seen is that people are starting to go back to their normal time with over 50 percent or half of our listeners stating that they're actually still tuning in for their regular shows So we've seen people still retaining their normal listening behavior. And many of them are starting to go back to their normal listening behavior as they start to go back to work and they start to trickle in. Uh, Drive time starting to still play a significant role, being breakfast and um, afternoon. So So we did see some changes. There was a really interesting peak initially in our data around about lunchtime that we started to see. But we are starting to see, um, and that was generally driven by the fact that people were coming in for news and information. A lot of people making that appointment listening kind of habit. But in the morning, what we did see is that our shift and a little bit later where people started trickling in. And that was primarily driven by the fact that one, people have to set their kids up for Zoom or Teams meetings now. I, I don't know if anybody's been put through this trauma, but I have. Yeah. Yes, we, we can attest to the fact that it's relatively difficult to plan your day now. And many of us having Zoom meetings. So we just got to take those into consideration, but people are still listening. So the, the whole point is to say that the audience is still there. They've changed some of their behavior but there's a large portion that has been retained and will normalize over time. Mm-hmm. All right, Larry, your, your experience in the U.S. and what you've seen there. So can you hear me now? Any better? We can't. You sound like Robocop with a bad throat. <laughs> maybe, you can, uh, maybe you can disconnect and join us again because I do want to hear get a last a final word from you um, before we wrap up. We've got about seven minutes left. Nick, on your side, um, any sort of skittishness about uh, prime time being affected? Look, I, I, who knows what the work from home um, thing, you know, how, how, how uh, long term. Um, everybody working from home will be. I, I, I believe certainly that working patterns will shift, but I'm not sure that it's going to be, I, I mean, it, not as profoundly as, as, uh, as COVID has made it. I think there will be a need for a workplace um, for most companies. Um, and, and so there will still be a commute. I mean, certainly in a South African context, there will be a commute um, 
for, for the majority, the vast majority of people don't have the luxury of, of, uh, of staying um, at, at home to do their, their work. So I think so long as there is a commute, there is, there is going to be strong drive time. Yeah. So, uh, Larry, I think we've got you back on. In terms of that change in drive time or the impact of, um, of, of satellite radio, how did, how did radio stations respond to that? Or, you know, did they take it all in their stride anyway? That made no difference. Well, like uh, Nick uh, recounted from, how about now, by the way? Can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. Uh, was happening uh, in, your, in South Africa. Uh, radio absolutely stepped up, changed a lot of things. Uh, with regard to timing of the day, a lot of morning shows started later and went later. And that will be a really interesting, Melissa touched on this, trend to watch, you know, you call the whole thing the new normal, you know, it, it seems extraordinarily unlikely that people who have been working from home, who had been work, working in a workspace outside their home five days a week, will go back to five days a week anytime soon, even if the pandemic goes away. So there, there's every chance that there are long-term changes in the way we program based on our understanding of how people go about their days. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, another question, another question that has come through on the chat, where can I find it, which was, if my Zoom would open up. Okay. It won't open up the, <laughs> it won't open up the Q&A. Sorry about that. But um, in terms of, in terms of uh, Larry, what's happened with um, devices, right? We know that in terms of, uh, um, um, what's it? In terms of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Speakers. Um, there's a huge consumption and utilization of that in the US, right? Smart speakers, smart speakers. What are they primarily used for? And I'm asking you that question in order to set up for Nick and perhaps even Melissa to, is that a stage at which, or uh, an era with which South Africans should be even worrying about or casting a distant eye to? So primarily, what are smart speakers being used for? Is it um, them streaming traditional or linear radio, or is it moving more to that on-demand podcasty type of content? So, you know, our study from last year, I, I would say showed that it's not, that smart speakers are not a short-term uh, concern of, of significance, but I wouldn't say way off in the distance or however you just put it. I would maybe put it in the medium space. And that's because people are so used to, you know, voice assistance on their phones, et cetera. And so it's kind of here, even if it's not coming from a, a Amazon or a Google machine, um, you know, and I'm conscious that we're sort of up against our time here, but uh, what people here in the States are largely using for music is overwhelmingly the top use case of different forms, some of which is coming from commercial radio stations. Um, but uh, as you might imagine, on the Amazon system, a lot of it comes from Amazon. On the Google system, a lot of it comes from Google. These devices are sort of Trojan horses for these giant companies to get into your home. Uh, so uh, radio should work with it, but they should be very conscious of the fact that Amazon didn't make them for the radio industry and Google didn't make them for the radio industry either. Mm -hmm. So to that end, Nick, um, anything that you might be keeping an eye on in um, commercial South African radio or to, to Larry's point that it, it'll happen the way it happens, but um, it's not an arms race. <laughs> I, I, I think we, we have to be very um, aware of, of uh, the impact that these things will have. And I think that radio needs to make sure that it, that it fights on two fronts. It fights for its place in the table with these new technologies. The first is, is accessibility. So, you know, it must, be, it must be easy for people to access radio through a, a new Tesla dashboard. Um, or a home speaker. And I think those, that kind of thing is going to require lots of industry collaboration. And the other thing that we must watch out for is, is, is that we lose our data. So the fact that th we have relationships with our audiences uh, with whom they are willing to share um, details about themselves on a, you know, in compliance with Poppy and so on. And, and you know, if we're not careful, we are going to get disintermediated by, by businesses that come along, aggregate streams, for example, and take all the data. So we need to make sure that, that radio retains its, its, its data relationships and that it makes sure that, 
that it's always um, you know, front and center on all new technologies like dashboards and like smart speakers and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. All right, fantastic. Melissa, um, or I guess here's a, a question for the panel. Perhaps, Melissa, you can answer this um, or whoever puts their hand up first. Sounds like a competition. But when looking at the current situation, what strategy um, should one take into consideration in terms of the consistency and ensuring that your strat or content solves challenges unique to your audiences and clients? I guess you've touched on that in many ways, uh, Nick. But um, perhaps you can just wrap that up for Mandla because my Q and A tab would not open up when I needed it to. <laughs> I think understand. I think the core is understand what your listeners are going through. Uh, if you know what your listeners are going through, then you know what what kind of content is going to meet that demand. So make sure that you've not only got the research, but if you don't have the research or can't afford it, make sure you've got the people that are working within and in the teams that have their ear to the ground and have an empathy for for listener experience. If you've got that empathy, then building content is a is 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 an easier process on top of that, um, in order to meet yeah. that to meet that demand. Definitely yes, agree with you. Yeah, fantastic. Melissa, you want to add on to that really quickly? Larry, any final insights? Nothing to add on from my side. I just think Fab. Yeah. Agree. Yep. I agree. Stay safe, everybody, and uh, thanks for having me with you. We just sounded like a segment of Catch Me If You Can. Do you concur? Do you concur? I concur. I concur. Guys, thank you so much for your time on the panel this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure. The time is just never enough. Nick Grubb, thank you. Melissa McNally, thank you so much. And Larry Rosen, really, really appreciate your insights. It's been amazing. And of course, to the people that registered for this panel discussion, you are very much appreciated. I'd like to give a final shout out and thanks to CAS Media and the Vits Radio Academy as well for making this all possible. Do check out the last or the remaining sessions for the rest of this week for Radio Days Africa. Uh, Tomorrow's talk is called Snakes and Ladders, the State of Community Radio in South Africa. That will be by Zandile Mashaba. You all keep safe and keep well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining this Radio Days Africa session. Click to watch or download the podcast. That was a Radio Days Africa podcast brought to you by the Vix Radio Academy.